I started experiencing an excruciating headache. I don't have any other word for how badly my head hurt. My head hurt so bad, I, I didn't feel, I couldn't eat. I couldn't move without being significantly dizzy. It was very bizarre. I went to the doctor. They told me they thought I had, because of the location of my headache, was was down at the bottom of my head, kind of where it meets your neck. They told me that I probably had torn a muscle and they gave me muscle relaxers and sent me home. I went to the emergency room four times in 11 days. They even admitted me overnight for observation once and they couldn't figure out the cause of my pain. And I kept trying to tell them something is wrong. Like, I, please figure out what's wrong. And they just kept sending me home with pain medication that I didn't want to take. Finally, when I literally thought I was going to die, the pain was so bad, I got into an appointment with a neurologist and she took one look at me and my symptoms and she told me that she wanted me to go back to the hospital. They did an MRV, which is a special kind of MRI, I guess, that shows the venous system of the brain. And I had what was called a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. And the blood flow to the left side of my brain was completely occluded by a clot. And that was causing a backup of not just blood, but also spinal fluid, which was the cause of my excruciating headache. I was admitted to the intensive care unit and put on IV blood thinners, IV heparin. And unfortunately, that caused the clot to leak, which is ultimately what led to the stroke that damaged some of the tissues in my brain. The surgical intervention was discussed. They would have had to fly me to the University of Florida, which was a few hours away, but they determined because they were able to get the bleeding to stop that it wasn't worth the risk. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Lupus is a disease that causes the body's immune system to malfunction. It can cause blood clots in many parts of the body, which, if they travel to the brain, can result in a stroke. In this episode, we hear from Melissa Smallwood from West Virginia. She suffered a stroke at the age of 37. Before my stroke, I was working as a case manager for a managed care organization. So I worked in the healthcare field. My husband and I had our youngest son still at home. He had just graduated from high school. And we also had three foster placements in our home at the time that I suffered the stroke. Life was busy and hectic. And we had actually just gone to Disney World and had Hurricane Matthew come through about two weeks before the stroke, which was completely unexpected. So I started experiencing an excruciating headache. I don't have any other word for how badly my head hurt. My head hurt so bad, I, I didn't feel I couldn't eat. I couldn't move without being significantly dizzy. It was very bizarre. I went to the doctor. They told me they thought I had, because of the location of my headache, was was down at the bottom of my head, kind of where it meets your neck. They told me that I probably had torn a muscle and they gave me muscle relaxers and sent me home. I went to the emergency room four times in 11 days. They even admitted me overnight for observation once and they couldn't figure out the cause of my pain. And I kept trying to tell them something is 
wrong. Like, I please figure out what's wrong. And they just kept sending me home with pain medication that I didn't want to take. Finally, when I literally thought I was going to die, the pain was so bad. I got into an appointment with a neurologist and she took one look at me and my symptoms. And she told me that she wanted me to go back to the hospital. And I told her, no, I said, I have been there four times. They're treating me like I'm crazy. And she looked me straight in my eye. My son was in the room and she said, Mrs. Smallwood, she's like, if what's going on in your brain is what I think it is, she was like, it's not going to be compatible with life if we don't get medical intervention. And she promised that if I went to the hospital, she would directly admit me and she would follow me and she would make sure that I didn't leave until my symptoms were resolved. And so I did. I went over to the hospital and they did an MRV which is a special kind of MRI, I guess, that shows the venous system of the brain. And I had what was called a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. And the blood flow to the left side of my brain was completely occluded by a clot. And that was causing a backup of not just blood, but also spinal fluid, which was the cause of my excruciating headache. So I was admitted to the intensive care unit and put on IV blood thinners, IV heparin. And unfortunately, that caused the clot to leak, which is ultimately what led to the stroke that damaged some of the tissues in my brain. The surgical intervention was discussed. They would have had to fly me to the University of Florida, which was a few hours away. But they determined because they were able to get the bleeding to stop that it wasn't worth the risk. Melissa was in hospital for a week. My blood pressure was really, really, really high when I was admitted. It was 210 over 160. And so they basically sedated me. So I don't remember much of the first few days in the hospital. I do remember when the doctor came in the morning after I was admitted, she brought the scan from the MRV and she had some medical students with her because she said that the type of clot I had was very, very rare. And she showed me and I, as a lay person, could look at the scan and completely understand what was going on because it was so clear that there was literally no blood flow to that one side of my brain. My recovery was complicated by the fact that the clot did not completely dissolve for nine months. And so because of the location of it, I suffered really, really awful vertigo. I have permanent hearing loss in my left ear. The blood flow had been occluded for so long. And when I came home from the hospital, I came home in a wheelchair. I couldn't walk. My extremities were very weak and the vertigo was so bad that I just couldn't maintain balance. So I came home in a wheelchair. My kids and my husband had to help me go to the bathroom. They had to help me get dressed. It was, you know, embarrassing and just really stressful. I had physical therapy in my home five days a week in the beginning They came to me and we worked on tolerance for the vertigo because until we could get that under control, I couldn't really participate in anything else because when I stood up, the vertigo was so bad that I would vomit. We just weren't getting anywhere (laughs) with the progress. And so they helped build up a tolerance for the vertigo. And then we, we very slowly worked on strengthening. Eventually, I guess that happened in October of 2016. It was in January that I graduated to outpatient physical therapy four days a week. 
where we continued working on strengthening things like my grip, my ability to hold on to things were impaired and my balance and gait. So I graduated to a wheeled walker in January of 2017. And then over the next few months to a cane, which I used for the rest of that year, probably until about January of 2018. Coming up, Melissa talks about the neurological impact of her stroke. My brain is just different. I get overwhelmed easily by, you know, stimulation. So crowds of people, airports, even Walmart sometimes are just really stressful in a way that they never were before. I also, when I'm fatigued especially, still have problems with finding the right words and still have problems with forgetting what I was in the middle of saying and things like that that weren't my typical personality. I am also have just less tolerance, less frustration tolerance and things like that. And her plans for the future. My plans for the future are just to enjoy every day because I'm fortunate to be here. You know, a lot of people don't survive pulmonary emboli and a lot of people don't survive strokes and I survived both. And so, you know, that kind of can create an existential crisis where you really get to evaluate what is the purpose of of my presence on the planet, which can be a really deep thing to ponder, but it can really also give you a strong sense of purpose and intention in your life. Let's hear more about how Melissa's stroke was linked to lupus. I had another blood clot back in 2008. I had a pulmonary embolism when I was 29 years old, completely out of the blue and unexpected, and I almost died. And because of that, it led to some testing to figure out what had happened and eventually led to a diagnosis of systemic lupus, as well as a related blood clotting disorder, lupus anticoagulant. And so even though I was on blood thinners for the blood clotting disorder at the time of the stroke, and those levels were in therapeutic range, I still managed to to get a clot in my brain. I went to a specialist at the University of Miami and the theory with people that have lupus is that during a flare, lupus kind of overrides the effects of the blood thinners to the point where it's still possible for a blood clot to occur, even though you're on a therapeutic level of Coumadin. I am doing amazingly well, all things considered. The clot dissolved Uh, about nine months after the incident first occurred, that freed me from a lot of the vertigo. I was cleared to drive. So I hadn't driven in almost a year by the time I was finally allowed to drive again, which was wonderful. And so five years later, I I don't have a cane anymore Um, to look at me. People are always shocked to hear that I had a stroke, but those people that know me know that I'm quite different than who I was before. The stroke really led to a level of anxiety that I had never experienced before. I'm a mental health therapist, and I think in the grand scheme of things, it's really helped me understand where my clients are coming from. But, you know, your brain is injured when you suffer any type of stroke. And my brain is just different. I get overwhelmed easily by, you know, stimulation. So crowds of people, airports, even Walmart sometimes are just really stressful in a way that they never were before. I also, when I'm fatigued, especially still have problems with finding the right words and still have problems with forgetting what I was in the middle of saying and things like that, that weren't my typical 
personality. I'm also have just less tolerance, less frustration tolerance and things like that than I had before this. And I'm proud of the person I am for sure. And for everything that I've survived, but it's definitely just different since that event. Melissa's stroke also impacted her family. It was really hard on my family. So as a foster parent, you know, I had vulnerable kids in my home when this unexpected event kind of happened. And it was really scary and an unpredictable time for them. And and I wasn't really able to be there to support them during that time that I was in the hospital. Because like I said, I spent most of it very sedated. But in a lot of ways, it drew us closer together as a family. And the girls that were in our home at that time, we have now adopted. It also impacted our family because we had we ended up having to move back to West Virginia. So we lived in Florida at the time of the stroke. And our health insurance was through my employer. And I couldn't return to work. I, I didn't work for 15 months after the stroke. And so we lost our health insurance. And in order to get it back, my husband came back to his old job in Washington, D.C. And so we ended up you know, selling our home in Florida and needing to move back to this area just so that I could access the health care that I needed. I actually just wrote a book um, that launched this week for foster parents, a, a source of support and encouragement. I actually wrote it during my recovery because I was bored <laughs> at home because it couldn't work. So I'm really excited about that. I try not to live in fear of another health event, but having had so many significant health events, you know, that is always in the back of my mind what what could possibly go wrong next. But my plans for the future are just to enjoy every day because I'm fortunate to be here. You know, a lot of people don't survive pulmonary emboli and a lot of people don't survive strokes and I survived both. And so, you know, that kind of can create an existential crisis where you really get to evaluate what is the purpose of, of my presence on the planet, which can be a really deep thing to ponder, but it can really also give you a strong sense of purpose and intention in your life. For Melissa, although your recovery can be overwhelming, it's best to take it one day at a time. For someone who um, has just found out that they have a stroke, I think my advice would be to just take it one day at a time. It can be really overwhelming when we sit and look at all we've lost, our ability to whatever it is, ambulate, you know, take care of ourselves, talk, all those things that are impacted when your brain is impacted by a trauma like that. And so instead of looking down the pike at, will I ever be able to do this again? Will I ever be able to do that again? You have to be able to recognize and celebrate small achievements. You know, just graduating from the wheelchair to the walker was a huge thing for me and something that I celebrated. Even though I wasn't where I wanted to be, I was further along than I had been three months before. And so you just have to celebrate those small accomplishments and achievements in order to not really get lost in depression. And my second advice for stroke survivors would be to, to get some help with your mental health. It is a lot of adjustment. It's a lot of trauma that takes place when something like that occurs. And as a therapist, I still got my own therapist to walk me through that time. At 37, you really go through a lot emotionally when people have to help you get dressed and go to the bathroom and take a shower and all those things. And it's really helpful to have someone to walk through that with you. For loved ones, I would say 
extend a lot of grace and patience. I know that I was very irritable, very snappy with my family. And I look back on that and I feel so bad, but I was just going through so much and my brain was just traumatized. And so just extending so much compassion to your loved one and understanding that they've really gone through a life-changing event that has them questioning and evaluating everything and just give them space for those kind of big questions like, why am I even here? Why was I, why was my life spared? What is my life going to look like from here on out? Avoid giving prescriptive advice, but just kind of be there and hold space for them when they need to a safe place to talk about those things. Five years on from her stroke, Melissa has made a strong recovery, written a book, and continued her work as a therapist. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. We were in the pool and I was walking just fine. And when we got out of the pool, I was walking really funny and just couldn't walk very well. I do specifically remember being really irritated as a six-year-old that I was, not being able to climb up the ladder. And I had this terrible headache. If you're a regular listener to Stroke Stories, thank you. Please do recommend the podcast to friends who you think it might help and rate and comment to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and you've got a story you can share, we'd love to hear from you. Our DMs are open on Twitter and Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Listener.